Welcome to the Agile Career Podcast, where we will take you on the journey from employed for life to employable for life. We'll give you the tips, insights, and strategies to help you build the transferable skills that you'll need. So let's get started. Please welcome your host, Gunter Richter. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to the Agile Career Podcast. This is episode 11. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about a growth mindset. Now, before we get started, I must apologize if I do sound a bit nasal um, or if indeed it sounds like someone else is presenting the show. It seems that um, pollen and hay fever is trying to kill me at the moment. So uh, please do be bear with me and uh, I will try and talk as normally as possible. So as I said, today's show, we're going to focus on a growth mindset and to help me do that, I'm joined by Crystal Metcalf, who is the Vice President for RGP, a consulting organization. But I'll leave it to Crystal to t- tell you a little bit more about what it is she does and what the organization does. But just as an introduction to the show, I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, growth mindset. Now, this term was probably popularized by an author called Carol Dweck. Uh, she's got plenty of great books out uh, I won't delve into the details of all of that now, but I will post uh, a link in the show notes to the book that uh, I'm going to refer to uh, as we talk through it now. And uh, she really says there's there's two kinds of mindsets. One is a fixed mindset where intelligence is static, and the other is a growth mindset. And the growth mindset is where intelligence can be developed. So in practice, what does this mean? So, well, let's compare the two. So in a fixed mindset people tend to avoid challenges, whereas in a growth mindset, you'll embrace challenges. Uh, People with a fixed mindset tend to give up easily, whereas people with a growth mindset will persist, uh, you know, even in the face of setbacks or challenges. Uh, People with a growth mindset will really see effort or investing effort as a path to mastery. And I I spoke about mastery in the last episode, whereas uh, in in a fixed mindset, people will see effort as just being a waste, you know, and won't even expend that effort. Um, Fixed mindsets, you tend to ignore useful uh, negative feedback, whereas the growth mindset, you learn from criticism and from from feedback. And then the final, I guess, example is a fixed mindset, uh, you tend to be threatened by the success of others, whereas in a growth mindset, you'll celebrate the success of others and you'll find lessons and inspiration in, in what you see others doing. So um, that's just really a brief overview of the growth mindset and to talk a little bit more about how uh, Crystal uh, found a growth mindset helped her through changes in her career and not only changes in her career, but a big change moving countries. Uh, We're going to get into the show now. Enjoy. Hello, Crystal, and welcome to the show. I'm really glad to have you on the Agile Career Podcast today. Thank you, Gunter. It's great to be here. Super. Well, um, yeah, again, I'm very happy that you made the time. And I guess the theme of today's show and the thing that I wanted to talk about and, uh, you know, of course, um, you know, in in talking with you before the show was thinking about having that growth mindset and keeping on thinking about how you're going to develop skills and uh, how you're going to sort of bridge those learning gaps when you move from job to job. And um, yeah, but I guess before we get into the detail, do you perhaps want to take a few moments and introduce yourself and perhaps talk a little bit about what it is you do at the moment? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, yeah, so um, I work for a, a global professional services firm, and we are implementation specialists. So our focus is really on helping clients um, translate their strategy into reality. 
that's, that's our sweet spot. And I'm currently the uh, VP of the UK practice. I joined initially as the MD of the UK practice, brought in to help tra transform the business. So initially, I was responsible for all aspects of the business. That's for, you know from the strategy to sales, talent management, operations, HR. But over the last couple of years, as we've been transforming as an organization, I'm now largely responsible for sales and revenue generation within the UK. Okay, and I mean thinking about um, uh, you know going back over your career and perhaps starting at the beginning and thinking about your university uh, university days. Sorry. Um, again, I think, you know, what you studied doing a business degree is, is kind of very relevant to what you do today, but casting your mind back, you know, how did you envisage your career developing? You know, what was it when you were doing your, um, your, your university days, what was it that you wanted to be doing? You know, did you envisage a particular career? I didn't actually, I mean, I, I was always very business orientated. And my, my mother will even tell me, like as a kid, I'd love to go to the office with her and help her organize papers and, and things like that, rather doing that more than playing with dolls and things. But um, so when I entered university, I was actually exploring all sorts of different things from you know, medicine, law, marketing. Um, and I was actually taking all sorts of things that actually didn't contribute to any career in, in particular, like Shakespeare and, and French classes and things like that. But Again, because I knew I wanted to, I was kind of more interested in, in business. I, I definitely focused initially on, on business, uh, general business courses. Um, as, I, as I continued, I, I actually really started thinking about corporate law. So I got involved in an undergraduate law club, um, which I think was really uh, a great opportunity because we had judges, prosecutors, defense attorneys, you name it, come in. And actually, after being part of that um, that that group, I decided I didn't want to have anything to do with uh, with the law, and and qu quickly decided to, to to make a change because it, it wasn't anything like the good wife or uh, the good fight or anything like that. So, so I um, in one of my early careers, my early jobs, I should say, is I met a woman that I was just really impressed with, and I just thought she she just kind of represented a lot of what I thought I would love to be in an organization, and it turned out she was in marketing, and she was you know counseling the CEO and drive, driving a lot of business change in the, in the organization. And so I just found out what she did and who, you know, who she was and what she did. And based on that, I decided I would, uh, I would focus my business courses then on marketing, which I loved. And then as I evolved, I um, did finish, I got my undergraduate in business with an emphasis on marketing. And then I also went back to grad school and got a master's of business administration with a focus on services marketing management. So when I got out of grad school, definitely, you know, knew I would or intended to be focused on the services kind of part of the business, but probably was thinking more around, you know, like the organizations like Disney or hotels and things like that, that, you know, kind of that we were studying a lot in services, services marketing. You know, and I think that's a really good point you drew out there, you know, first in terms of you getting involved with the corporate law club uh, and then, you know, um, talking about the, this woman you met who, uh, you know, you looked up to and I guess ultimately was, was, was a mentor, almost kind of not trying before you buying, but, you know, thinking about am I ready to invest all of this time in a particular university degree? Uh, yeah. Because often, you know, it's an expensive affair, both in terms of time and cost and you know, thinking then, is this really what I want to do? And it's, it's a really good point. And 
I think what many people struggle with now post leaving school uh, is thinking about, do I need to go to university? If I, if I do go, what should I study? And uh, yeah. I think these are great takeaways to think before you make that big commitment and invest that time and money is perhaps taking that step back and thinking about what, what it is you want to do or, you know, trying it through some kind of internship or, or anything like that. I think it's a, a sage bit of advice. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I, I just think it's such a big decision, right? In terms of what do you want to do with the rest of your life? And especially trying to make that at 18 years old when we just have such little exposure to so many different things. So I did take advantage of internships. Um, and as I think you and I mentioned, or I was talking to you beforehand is I was actually working in high school. Um, so I've started working quite early just to, just to explore different things and, and get exposure to, to different, different companies, different industries and things like that, which I'm thankful for because you know, I had the opportunity to, to explore and figure some things out, things I didn't like and things I liked. Yeah, that's definitely valuable. And, you know, it, it avoids, I think, that massive transition going straight from an academic world into the working world, not having had any experience of how perhaps the real world works in, in, in those sorts of, um, I guess, in working environments. So, so again, I think it, it's good advice to, to sort of get some of that experience under your belt, you know, whether or not it's going to form part of your longer term, term career or not, but definitely thinking about, um, you know, getting some practical experience. And I guess moving out of the university, uh, out of university, then sorry, and um, doing jobs. I know Campbell's was was one uh, one of the organisations you worked at. I think also sales focused, which was pretty much aligned with uh, your studies. Um, uh, you know, how did you find that transition? Then you know, moving out of out of out of sort of the academics and into the real world, uh, was it all you expected? Um, well, actually, so Campbell's wasn't my first job out of undergraduate. So when I was in um, getting my bachelor's of science, I actually did have an internship with an organization and uh, it was a summer internship. They were kind enough to allow me to continue working when I went back to school and then were even more, more kind to offer me a full-time employment when I, um, when I graduated. So this was for a pharmaceutical market research company. And um, so I worked for them for, for several years straight out of university. And then I actually uh, moved to the UK for a year. So I, I left that company and, and moved to the UK just for a year to live out one of my dreams of living abroad. Um, so, and I didn't, when I was in the UK, I didn't have, I was doing lots of you know, temporary type of work. So, because it was only really planning to be there for a year. So did odd type of jobs working in the back office of retailers and things like that. So when I returned back to the States, that's when I moved into Campbell Soup. Okay. Um, so to answer your question, the transition for me from university into my first job actually was quite easy because I was working with, within the organization from, you know, a summer intern through to, you know, the last few years of, of university. And then that transition was, was quite natural. So I was, I was lucky in that sense. Okay. And then I guess moving, taking that, not necessarily a career break, but that travel break, moving to yeah. the UK and you say doing, um, you know, some sort of back office jobs, uh, you know, what, what did you take with you, you know, into those roles? Um, you know, was there anything that stood out and said, Hey, you know, I've, I've got some great learnings from, from, from my roles just out of university. 
You know, not a, not a lot other than just my willingness to, you know, I think, again, I was working for quite a few of the retailers. So, I'd, you know, kind of doing customer support, supporting their, you know, kind of the sales organizations and merchandising. I did work full time through university in retail before I before I joined um, the company that I first went to work for. So having those four years of retail were probably just the fact I understood the industry um, and understood understood kind of the lingo and, and, and the operations behind those things. So that that allowed me to kind of make that transition into those interim roles quite, quite quickly and easily. Yeah. Okay. And then you, you drew on the one bit there, customer support and, and you know, that those sort of people skills and customer, customer type um, skills. So I think that's, 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 that's a good one to draw out. And then I guess going back, so you talked about going back to the States and, and starting at Campbell's, uh, I guess it was after Campbell's then that you made what I would think is a fairly significant move entering the world of consulting. Yes. Yeah. So that one was, Consulting, I, you know, I never expected to really be in consulting. So basically when I graduated, when I had my, got my MBA, um, I, I actually got a, a role as a product manager in a, in a service oriented company. So that kind of aligned with what I, what I thought I was going to be doing. But at the time I, I was living in Arizona, I was dating a guy who lived in Oregon and we, we knew we wanted to be in the same place. And, you know, one day he called me and said, do you know what? I'm working with a group of consultants from Arthur Anderson, and this is you. And he's like, I can totally see you doing this job. Um, would you be willing to let me connect you with some of these people and just just talk with them and explore what they what they do, and and maybe there might be something for you. And yeah, I said sure, of course, because I'm going to have some conversations. And literally, it was just a handful of conversations. And the next thing you know, I was was working for Arthur Anderson. I didn't go through like a massive um, interview process or anything like that. Um, I just, you know, happened to, I think, get connected to some people who could make decisions and they, you know, they brought me on board. I thought it was going to be a two-year gig. That's what I thought. I'm like, this will just be two years. I'll be in, out, get some great experience and move on. And 20 years later, uh, I'm still in the industry. So. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's an interesting story. And I think, you know, the key takeaway for me there is that uh, element, I guess, of, of networking. I mean, you weren't purposefully going out and networking, but as you say, uh, you know, the guy you were seeing at that time suggested this to you and, you know, through, through that network, it was an easy introduction and, and yeah. you got to put in, sorry, put in touch with the right people. So uh, again, I think that's quite, that's a testament to, I think the amount of jobs that aren't necessarily advertised or, the amount of right. jobs that people land that aren't advertised and uh, you know, the importance of, I think, maintaining networks and, and being able to have those conversations and um, you know, perhaps spotting opportunities. So, and, and, yeah. and the other thing about that, sorry, um, was that, you know, again, I was, a, I had a marketing and sales background and the person that I got in touch with was a partner for, I think the service line was called revenue management at the time. And so based on, talking with him and and all the people that he put me in contact with to to just learn and have these you know kind of exploratory conversations and inf informal type conversations i thought the team did a lot of that type of work and when i joined you know i was telling people what my background was everybody kept asking like well, what are you doing here like we don't do a whole lot of that work but again i just happened to meet the right people and and of course we ended up doing that type of work it was a small team but it was it was a fantastic um, fantastic group for me to be part of 
And I mean, you know, thinking about a, a big name like Anderson or Arthur Anderson Consulting, you know, it's, it's I think, also known to be a very tough environment. And, yeah. um, you know, how did you feel when you landed in this new environment? Did you look around and think, okay, there's, there's some new things I need to learn? Or did you feel comfortable straight away? No. <laughs> so, you know, to start with when everybody was saying, what are you doing here? Because um, I looked probably, you know, background-wise and and experience-wise, very different from most of the other team. And then I would say I was overwhelmed the first, my entire first year, uh, to be honest. I, I just I felt intimidated and, and really felt like I had that kind of imposter syndrome of feeling like everybody around me was much smarter than me, much more capable. And you know, some of the assignments I would get, I would just thought, how in the world will I be able to do this and do this well? So it was, it was a, a real stretch that, that first year um, and probably the hardest year for me professionally just to, to make that, that leap from industry into consulting because it felt like everything was new. And so I had to develop all sorts of skills to, uh, to get on with what I was expected to do. And I mean, what would you say those, those core skills were that you, you ended up developing in that first year? Well, I think, you know, some of it was strange. Like, um, you know, in consulting, I felt like you couldn't just show up to a meeting anymore and participate. You were expected to typically facilitate that meeting. So you had to spend all this time before a meeting thinking about what are you trying to achieve? Who needs to be there? you know, who do I need to meet with in advance of the meeting and how do I help get to get to a decision or realize the objective of the meeting and what material are you going to bring and how do I facilitate it? And so even just the simplest thing as a meeting to me didn't feel like a simple thing anymore. And it was just a, a, a lot around, you know, some of the basics, um, you know, again, meeting, meeting management, synthesizing data, because of course, obviously in consulting, a lot of what you do is gather a lot of information, but then trying to figure out how to synthesize it in a meaningful way to make decisions and tell a story that, you know, says, this is the problem statement. Here's some of the evidence. Here's ways you can move forward and, and fix and address the problem. And this is what it's going to cost. And this is what it's going to take kind of thing, you know, kind of really putting all those, those things together to deliver a consulting project felt like all of that felt relatively new to me, or at least doing it at a level that I felt like the client was getting their value for the fees that they were paying for us every day. I think in consulting, I always felt like you had a, you know, as an American, a dollar sign over my head and was trying to figure out like, was I justifying that every day? And, and, you know, could my company justify that? And it's a difficult one. And you mentioned the term imposter syndrome. And I think, you know, it's something that affects many people thinking about, you know, am I qualified for this new role or am I qualified for this new job? Uh, yeah. You know, am I, am, I, am I credible when I'm offering advice to people? So in terms of developing those skills, you know, you said even the simplest thing like facilitating a meeting and the preparation that, that you needed to do. Um, how did you go about, I guess, developing those skills? I guess, you know, nowadays many people would go onto YouTube and there'd be like a ton of videos. Um, yeah. But what sort of mechanisms did you find worked really well to help you develop those skills? Well, I was, I was really lucky to come into Arthur Anderson because they had a, a lot of great resources that they, they invested in, in, in their consultants. So there was new hire school that we all had to go through that 
that took you through a, a lot of that. Um, everybody had a mentor as well. So I think you, I think we maybe had a buddy for the first six months, um, but then within uh, with those first six months, your part of your responsibility was to find a mentor that would really um, you know, that would serve as your long term mentor. So I had that, um, and a lot of it was watching, being just really open and 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 wanting to learn and learn from others. So learning on the job, watching people who did it really well, and. I did a lot of training on my own as well, whether it was, you know, maybe going into a new client, so doing a lot of research on the industry or the, the business area. Um, just, I mean, I would literally spend a ton of time just really doing everything I could to get my skill set up or my knowledge base up to whatever was required for, for the, the various assignments. Yeah, that's a great piece of advice because I think on the one side you could have done the bare minimum and said, you know, you all attended new higher school and, you know, you could have completed the compulsory courses, but then there was all of this other stuff, you, you know, that, that personal time you probably invested in learning some of these skills and, and, and clearly, you know, has, has paid off. But I, I think the lesson there is, you know, you, you, sometimes it's not good to get by on the bare minimum. It, it's really important about investing that additional time uh, and and learning these sorts of skills that are going to help you. Yeah, yeah. I would read books. I'd go to conferences. I'd you know attend external training if that's what was required. Um, you know, I, again, I was just looking for anything to you know to help make each day easier um, and and feel more confident in, in what I was doing. So, was, and you know, and that that again, given, I think I you know I did have I loved being in the university, and and so I I think I kind of that's probably one of the things that what I liked so much about, you know, getting into consulting, it is, it does feel like you've always got some new curriculum and, and I was still, I guess, young enough in my career coming out of grad school that that concept of reading and research and all that kind of stuff just felt still kind of part of my DNA at that point. Yeah, that's important. I think, you know, often when we look back at some of the stuff we've studied in a, in a formal environment, that knowledge that we pick up becomes dated, uh, you know, so yeah perhaps thinking about some of the more classic uh, topics, perhaps like economics, you know, those, those principles tend to uh, last or be valid for a lot longer, but certainly in terms of some of the technology type of, of courses that we might've done, uh, you know, those, that, that stuff changes and it changes so quickly. Uh, but yeah. I think, the, I guess the value from um, being at university or one of the, in one of those learning environments is that you learn to learn and uh you know realize that you know you do need to constantly refresh your knowledge and 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 build those skills and and develop that growth mindset and not stagnate yeah yeah i think uh, you know probably in any career but you know especially in in consulting i think you just always have to stay relevant and it's been one of i think the struggles i have as as i've progressed in my career and kind of spending more and more time in management roles is how do you still stay relevant and you, you have to still stay connected to your clients and what's going on in industries and you know what are they what are the problems they're they're facing and what are the solutions out there so it's a and i still try to spend quite a bit of time you know closer to the delivery side than the uh the internal management side just to just to keep my knowledge base and you know up to date you know you said something really significant there i think and that's that's the, the statement always stay relevant and yeah. Uh, you know, often I see Madonna, for example, being used as a good case study here. And, you know, thinking about, 
maybe not the skills, but certainly the image and appeal that that she's managed to adapt over over the decades. You know, so if I if I if I if I think back and say, well, even now, certainly my parents know who M- M- Madonna is, and right. you know, can name one or two songs. I can certainly name, and I wouldn't say sing because that would be a lie. Um, many of her songs, and our kids would be able to you know, know who Madonna is. And uh, I think that's a testament to that always staying relevant and, and, and kind yeah. of not reinventing yourself, but, but continually developing. So now that that's already, that's a really great takeaway. Um, and so looking back on your Anderson days then, and that move into, well, I guess from, from still from a services company, but into this, 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 this consulting uh, company, management consulting company, what would you say your biggest, sort of takeaway was from making that move? Um, it was definitely harder than I expected it to be. Um, but I, I also loved it much more than I thought I would have. Because as I, you know, I mentioned, I you know, thought it was gonna be two years and I was gonna be out of there. Uh, but the, the growth, opportunities that I was afforded um, through the through my career I, I wouldn't have expected um, uh, kind of when I when I started off um, so I, I remain eternally grateful for the for the opportunities and the experiences I had and it was they're definitely you know I'm in London now um, for for eight years and I while I had aspirations of you know maybe living internationally I didn't necessarily know that that would happen but that's you know I am I am here and as a result of my career um, and the opportunities, the companies that I've, I've worked for have, have given. So it was definitely a, a, a much richer and longer run than I was expecting. Yeah, that, that's a great observation. I think, you know, it's about thinking about these, these roles and these jobs we have as yes, you, you know, uh, the reason is, you, you know, we, we need to earn an income, but certainly it's, it's been able to take away some of the other things and those experiences that give us either to relocate internationally or to travel or to work in these different environments and different industries and learn about, uh, you know, many things that you perhaps wouldn't if you stayed in, you know, a single industry like finance or, or, or retail. So I think, yeah. yeah, that's, that's a good observation, you know, taking away more than just the paycheck, I think is, is a great point. Yeah. And one of the things I learned about myself is, is I, I do want to be constantly challenged. I mean, sometimes it would be nice not to be challenged as much, but I, I really have, I, I do like to, to learn and stretch and, and grow and, and be put in awkward situations. Um, and so I can honestly say from day one and joining Arthur Anderson, I, I've never been bored a day since I've started. And to say that in 20 years is, is amazing because it's a testament to some of the great clients and, and, the, and the problems that we were trying to solve with them. Um, but even in between times, like if you, if you weren't necessarily on a project, there was always internal you know, practice development stuff to get involved in and help evolve uh, the company itself. Um, and so I would sometimes almost be busier when I wasn't on a project, just getting, you know, helping, helping drive change internal, internally or, or to the organization. So um, I'm, I'm thankful. And again, like I said, you know, to never have been bored in 20 something years is, is, is quite a testament. Yeah, no, that that's really good. I think um, you know, often boredom is is such a destructive thing, and um, definitely avoiding that is 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 a great is a great outcome. And I guess round right about the time you joined uh, Anderson, or while you were there, was was 
probably when the, the whole Enron thing um, came up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Did, did that affect you at all or your career at all? Well, I think it was definitely one of the hardest things that I've been through professionally, other than, you know, my first year <laughs> in consulting, which was so challenging. Um, so I was actually, uh, I think I was about a manager at that time. And, um, and, it, and I was also on a, on a project at the time that the team and I, we would probably finish each day, like at 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. So it was really intense on the project side but then you'd have to kind of finish the day and get into your company email. And, you know, you just have emails and voicemails and meetings that you needed to attend to try to understand what was going on and, you know, the company's position and what they were expecting to happen and the timelines and things we needed to do. Um, so it was, it was really stressful. And we were also responsible for helping our, you know, trying to keep our clients calm and, retain our clients through that. So, you know, they weren't walking out the door. Um, and then my, the team that I was in, the partnership that I was working for, there was um, a lot of, a lot of Arthur Anderson in the U S actually went to um, bearing point and our partners decided that, you know, they wanted to, they wanted to go a different route. And so we had a we had to have a lot of side meetings and almost kind of break away in a in a sense and and kind of make a decision and we I think we had something like a weekend to make a decision where we were told the partners that we weren't working that we were working with were not going with bearing point and while they had interesting buyers they didn't have a buyer yet and we needed to make a decision about whether or not we would go with them or not um, so really just very tumultuous and, you know, a lot of uncertainty and a lot of big risks. But I think, you know, it was interesting when I, when I think back about the Arthur Anderson, Arthur Anderson situation, and I can only speak for the U.S. at that time, so many of the people stayed till the very end. And I, and I, and I would have loved to have been at a higher up in the organization and, and had more of a remit than I had at the time, just to understand the company culture and the, what was behind that? Because they, they man managed to keep so many people through that, through all that craziness. Yeah. And I mean, I guess it's good testament to, to something that was being, being done right. And, you know, people felt that loyalty and the fact that they wanted to stay on and see things through. Um, but yeah. It, it, yeah, it does sound like a very, a very challenging time. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. And then thinking about, I guess your, uh, your next move, um, was again sticking in the consulting theme, um, but uh, making a move to a slightly different organization because I think you moved on to Hitachi Consulting after Anderson. Yes. So the the partners that um, so I made I was one of those that made a decision to stay with the partners that I was working with, although they didn't have a buyer at that time. They had a number of prospects. So the partners that I was working for, they ended up. Um, I guess selling our our business to um, to Hitachi Consulting. So we were Hitachi's foray into uh, business consulting. Well, was that through? Was that the Grand Thornton connect, uh, connection or? Um... No, different. Yeah. Okay. This was... All right. So I guess it, it it kind of happened by by that decision and and thinking yeah. about um, well, I guess looking at names. I mean, I, I think 
it would you if you look at someone like bearing point or perhaps some of the other big consultancies available i guess not all of those were up for offer in terms of of the part that's moving but i guess you know and sometimes hitachi consulting could be considered as a lesser known name when it comes to consulting um you know did, did you feel how did you feel about that change and you know sort of moving from that anderson identity to to another identity it was it was definitely hard because you know there was a obviously again a ton of loyalty to arthur anderson and, and a lot of pride in working for that organization um had this you know 80 something year heritage and and you know everybody knew arthur anderson when you when you walked into a room and said you're with arthur arthur anderson there was you kind of were granted a certain amount of of respect and yeah. you know recognition um and suddenly we worked you know we're working for hitachi consulting which you know in america you know people thought we were selling tvs or you know lifts and things like that so it it was i was lucky enough that i was working in an account that um we had a a, a good book of business and we you know part of my responsibility with a number of other people were communicating to our clients the changes that we were going through as an organization but trying to retain those clients and, and get them to commit to working with us now that we were hitachi consulting rather than arthur anderson um but it it was hard to and but it was a great experience to think about how do you how do you tell that story to a client how do you tell that story to your team to try to keep them motivated and interested in working for an organization that again doesn't have all that infrastructure and the name and everything behind it because we were we were largely you know almost like a startup again or a, a large startup um and and building a reputation out in the marketplace to get new clients or to get new talent um so it was it was it was hard work but um again useful as now i'm in, in the company that i'm working with now which again has a doesn't have the a real strong brand recognition in, in europe so at least it teaches you how to maybe be confident in in yourself in your team and not have that luxury of 80 years of, of brand recognition and that that, and that the, door door opener yeah, yeah. yeah exactly yeah, no, that's that's a good point uh, in in terms of of you know having that confidence in yourself and your team because I guess ultimately, from a client's perspective, these are the same people I've been dealing with uh, yeah. under a different banner now. Um, so as you said, how, you know how do you how do you get that message across and uh, how do you attract new clients and 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 new hires? I think um, and and you know did you feel then was there any significant shift in terms of, of thinking that there was this new set of skills you needed to develop and perhaps you were taking on additional responsibility in terms of your customer retention or, or, or attracting, attracting new talent? Where I probably spent a lot of time. So as I mentioned, I, I was fortunate to be working in a client that we had a long-term relationship with. And I, I believe, largely we were able to maintain the relationships that we had which was which is great um i one of the things that as part of that transition to um, hitachi consulting we did definitely want to have solutions and methodologies and you know delivery tools and templates and things like that and so that 
you know, that transition gave me an opportunity to do that. So in addition to the, the client work, then I became, um, you know, kind of a marketing competency lead and, and, you know, those types of internal roles where we had to redefine what we were going to be known for in the different spaces and start to build delivery methodologies and like I said, delivery tools and templates. And that was, that was a, you know, a really great opportunity and, and to start really building that internal capability with, with the new team that was, that was being developed. And like you say, you know, you had done a lot of that back at Anderson, you know, when you were not on a client's assignment uh, in terms of putting your hand up and doing all of those internal activities. So um, I, I think certainly quite a big opportunity that you spotted uh, and, and, you know, getting that opportunity to build all of this RP and, and, and methodology. Yeah. And the partners that there were not the, the partners that we used to work for who now were like, they were vice presidents when we, you know, when we moved over to the new organization they were always great about setting the expectation that we had to give back to the company. And so, you know, we were always every fiscal year, we always looked to say, you know, what do we need to improve? And we all had to take, you know, leaves if we wanted to progress in the company um, to, to fix it. And so it could have been brand recognition. It could have been our recruiting efforts. It could have been, you know, kind of some of the delivery issues or you know, anything, but we all had to, to take leadership roles. And so there was just coming again, back from a, from an Arthur Anderson to a startup, there was just so much you know, kind of, you know, as a skate to space, right. You, there was so much opportunity that uh, to get involved and help shape the company. And we all had a certain legacy. So we, but it gave us some freedom to, to create some, some new things that were relevant for the, the size of the organization and who we were known for and, or like, you know, our, our size and our maturity and, and our, our new space in the marketplace. So lots of great opportunities to kind of help shape, shape the company. Yeah, I think um, that's a great takeaway there because often we see uh, people in leadership roles uh, either sort of, uh, you know, stepping forward to perhaps a customer facing role or, you know, a restaurant manager waiting tables, you, you know, to kind of put themselves in the frontline staff shoes. But, you know, swapping that on its head or putting that on its head and saying, okay, you need to take on a leadership role um, gives you, I guess, that insight to see how this can be challenging perhaps. And, you know, it's not just easy at the top and, um, you know, are, are there, was there stuff that you took and your colleagues you think took away from that experience? Yeah, I mean, you've probably heard the consultant heal thyself, right? I mean, I think it, it taught all of us, it, change is hard. I mean, we, we could do that in our job and sit there and go, you know, can't our clients see it? It's so obvious this needs to change. And we're not asking them to do the, something so crazy. Um, but suddenly when we were having to go through it and, and, and change ourselves, it was really hard and there was a lot of resistance. And, and um, for sure, I think it gave us, and it gave me much more empathy for our clients um, it made me appreciate that sometimes even small things can can feel really threatening or you know very makes some people feel vulnerable or you know the way they were doing it you calling their you know calling their baby ugly or whatever it is and there's it's a, it's a lot of lot to go through so um, yeah definitely helped give us the you know, kind of put us in the shoes of our customer yeah it's a very good point you make that that empathy and I think you know as consultants putting ourselves in those shoes and sometimes you know having to go out and hire other consultants uh you know to to do certain things whether it's legal help you need or whatever it's um you know this is quite difficult and you know and you you can then develop that empathy for for how sometimes clients i think feel uh, so that's that's a really good point 
And I guess during this phase at Hitachi Consulting, you know, there was another big change uh, and that was your move to the UK. Um, yes. And uh, I guess the one thing is change and, and, and probably learning loads and, 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 and kind of, although you had spent a year in the UK, I, I dare say there were probably things you thought, you know, what's going on here. Uh, yeah. How was that move for you? And you know, what, what, how did you prepare for that change? Well, I kind of referenced in the, in the very early stages, I always had aspirations and visions of living abroad. So I'd say, you know, first and foremost, I was just super excited about the opportunity and could largely only see the upside other than I had two dogs and I was concerned about whether they were going to have to be quarantined for six months or something like that. So thankfully that, uh, that was no longer the issue. So, um, I was, I was just very excited. Um, but that was, I would consider, you know, kind of my first year in consulting, the, uh, the collapse of Arthur Anderson and then the move to the UK actually as kind of my top three most challenging moments in my professional career. And, you know, I think it was just, you know, it was a new country um, in, I came from the Pacific Northwest. I had, a, you know, a really, I had a great network. I had a great network of, of my peer group on the client side and I came here and, you know, nobody really knew me. I had a handful of people knew me because I was doing some, uh, global project management. Um, so I had a handful of people who knew me, but not the leadership team uh, for sure. And I didn't didn't have any clients that I knew. Um, and actually, Hitachi Consulting in the UK had a very different focus than the Hitachi Consulting practice that I worked in in the UK. So I was or in the US. I was largely at that time in my career, are still largely doing sales and marketing type engagements customer experience type things. And they were always technology enabled, but I wasn't in a technology led practice. And when I felt like when I came to Hitachi Consulting UK, it was definitely a technology led type of a practice with you know very strong Oracle practice, a very strong Microsoft practice, um, strong business intelligence practice. And, and so again, I kind of felt like that outsider again, thinking, what am I doing here? And uh, how do I, how do I fit in and, and add value to this team? Yeah, you know, you had said that to me before in terms of the, I guess, the UK practice or the UK um, setup being a lot more technology focused. Um, and, 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 you know, kind of moving into that was a bit of a shift. You know, how, how did you deal with that? And given there was a vast uh, amount of technology and different flavors of it, um, how did you deal with that? Yeah because I was spending a lot of time on technology enabled projects, I wasn't afraid of technology and I knew nobody was going to be asking, asking me to code or anything like that. So I guess I, you know, didn't have a lot of fear of the topic, but I have to say, I went back to my standard, which is do a lot of research, do a lot of reading um, and leveraged my team like crazy. I mean, I was, I was lucky enough to have colleagues who gave me, uh, I would say, a lot of time and um, a lot of their attention to help me help help us. You know, like if I was asked to kind of go lead a pursuit and it was on business intelligence or something, the team knew I wasn't a business intelligence expert, but I think they believed I could help us win an opportunity if we could pull the right people together and we could work on that story together. And so, you know, I, I would actually spend quite a bit of time with people before I'd go meet with clients to say, okay, 
what, what about this? And how do I, how do I respond to that? And what might they be challenged us? You know, what, what, what might they challenge us on and how would we respond? And really leveraging the strengths of the team and recognizing that I didn't have to have it all, but I just needed to have a good team behind me that, that did, and that I could call upon and, you know, put them in the right places at the right times. Yeah, that, that's a great point. And I think not being afraid to ask for help uh, is a key thing. And, you know, that's come up in a number of, of interviews on the Agile podcast, sorry, the Agile Career podcast is not being afraid to ask for help. Um, you know, I think many people see it as a weakness and, you know, stay silent and that tends to have a negative, um, a negative outcome. So um, that's, that's a great piece of advice. And like you say, leveraging the team, I think that's, that's, that's great. I always think one of my greatest weaknesses has been a great helper in my career, which is my insecurities in terms of no, knowing what I, I, I'm very clear on what I don't know and, and what my either skill gaps, capability gaps or whatever, but it, but I'm always really focused on how to close them. And it doesn't have to be that I have to close it myself, but how do I leverage other people or, you know, and it, it, so I'm, I feel like I'm hardly ever not willing to ask for help. I'm always <laughs> asking for help because I know I, you know, where I know where I need it. Um, and I know that I can't know everything and can't have all the experiences that I want, but I, if I can surround myself with, with other people and leverage their experiences and, and, you know, their great talents, then, then that gets me, gets me by, gets me through. Yeah, no, that's another great point is, is kind of knowing what the gaps are. If you, if you don't know what you don't know, that's, you, you, you know, you can't fix it. Um, yeah. So absolutely knowing what you don't know is, is, is the first step in, in, in closing that gap. So that, that's a good point. And yeah. so, okay. So that, that was kind of work and, and you, you know, um, moving into this uh, more technology focused environment um, kind of thinking about the non-work aspects of moving to the UK what would you say your biggest surprise was? Non-work wise? Yeah, I guess perhaps culturally or. Um... So I, you know, it's interesting. I, I think I might have the statistic incorrect and I, I won't quote it directly, uh, exactly, but I read something about expats and it said that there were like, if you think Americans moving to the UK, there's a higher failure rate on those circumstances than say like an American moving to Japan, because we think that, you know, we, we sound similar, you know, we speak the same language. We, we look similar, you know, there's lots of the same holidays and things like that, that we kind of forget that we are culturally different. And, um, and so we kind of stumble and, and make a lot of mistakes and things like that. Then we're like, if I moved to Japan, I'd be much more aware probably every day of all the differences and, and you go into it much more, more softly and, um, and, and respectful. So I, you know, I definitely try to take that into, into consideration. And I found probably as an, as American, I felt like probably the thing I struggle with the most is I'm quite direct and often the British are, are quite indirect. And I often will say, are, are you, are you frustrated with me? Are you mad at me? Are you trying to tell me I've done something wrong? You know, cause it's, you know, the softly, softly dancing around the handbag kind of thing. And I, I haven't mastered that yet. Um, but I, but I'm trying. 
Yeah, no, that, that's a great observation. And, uh, uh, you know, I found myself in, in the same shoes, you know, having, having, having made a move like that. And, uh, you know, one of the things is the, the more often someone calls you mate, it mean, you know, the more annoyed they're getting with you, whereas you might take that as a compliment <laughs> at, at face value. So um, there's, there's, there's certainly, uh, certainly lots, to, lots to learn from that and um, some, some really great takeaways. So, um, and also in America, everybody's your best friend. You know, the minute you meet them, you're kind of let's yeah. go for drinks and come out over to my house for dinner. And, you know, you, you don't have that same, um, those same experiences here. It, it takes a long time, I think, for somebody English to invite you into their house for dinner. Um, you may see them all the time in the parks or your next door neighbor and you have great conversations, but invite you out for a drink. <laughs> so you know developing friends and and trying to learn how to to do that in a way again that was being respectful of of the culture and the pace at which people operate for for an american who kind of just jumps in there and it's like hey let's get it go. done yeah. yeah and absolutely and you said you know you know there was stuff you needed to do because you you know you almost kind of reset your network um you know you had to build up those relationships so you know there was a lot of i think investments and uh, and, and time that would have gone into that. And uh, so then I, I guess seeing, seeing through the next few years at Itachi, uh, it got to the point where it was time to make another move. Um, and uh, that, that's moving to, or that was moving to where you are now at RGP. Um, kind of what was your thinking? You know, you'd had a really great tenure at, at Itachi. And I guess when you add on that uh, Anderson work before, as you said, 20 years, uh, you know, what got you thinking about that move? And on the company side, so I started questioning my fit within Hitachi, to be quite honest, because the company had greater and greater aspirations. And I think strategically, it makes a lot of sense to become much more integrated into the mothership Hitachi. Um, so it it kind of continued to be and evolve in terms of uh, the focus. And I And I just honestly felt like I wasn't the right fit for the company anymore, that as they were growing and changing, they could they probably could use somebody that had a completely different skill set. So I had started thinking about it would be time to to make a move. And the um, the manager that I worked with as soon as I start I joined um, Hitachi Consulting in the UK, he had left maybe a year or two before, um, and he reached out to me and mentioned that you know the company he was working for. Um, going through a massive transformation and, you know, kind of said something along the lines of, you know, you've spent a lot of years helping clients make a change and here's an opportunity for you to come in and help this company make a change. And so it was really about the, the opportunity to help transform uh, and, and help be part of a, a transformation that, um, that excited me. And then quite frankly, um, the, the, the gentleman who brought me over was one of the, my favorite managers I've ever worked with. And I just I had a tremendous amount of respect for him. And I, I learned a lot and I knew I would continue to learn a lot for him, from him. So, you know, I, I say to him, you know, he could probably ask me to go almost anywhere and I'd follow him because of, of you know, the opportunities to, to work with him. So those were kind of the key drivers in, in that decision to make a change. You know, that, that's really testament to those relationships you build up. You know, as you say, uh, again, an introduction to a new organization, uh, you know, working with or having the opportunity again to work with someone you respect so much. So 
I think, you know, really, really important about developing those, those relationships and, and maintaining them. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, I guess, uh, again, it is a professional services firm, but your role uh, was quite different, I guess, moving from, uh, from, from Hitachi to RGP. You know, yeah. what do you think the core skills are that you took across from, from Hitachi into your new role? <clears throat> I think so. I found I actually brought my consulting mindset to it, um, and you know I kind of approached it like they were my client, and I was I was a consultant. So when I was going through the interview process, which I met a, a ton of people through the interview process, both because of they have quite a lengthy interview process, and and because I wasn't in a hurry, and uh, you know I kind of wanted to take advantage and meet as many people as I wanted to. So in each one of the interviews, I was, you know, synthesizing my notes again to say, you know, this is maybe a thing I need to look in from an operation standpoint, or I need to, you know, look into this from a client side. And this is, you know, and so I, you know, before I kind of finished the interview process, I already had sort of like a 90 day plan laid out for how I would approach um, those first 90 days in kind of order that made sense to me in terms of the meetings I wanted to have, the people I wanted to have and what I wanted to accomplish by different parts. And so, and that was kind of the, the approach I took that um, I just diagnosed, you know, every part of the business and said, okay, now, you know, I've got a really good feel for what's going on. And, um, and I felt really confident in, in making some recommendations because, because I did the hard work of, of kind of digging under um, each of the different areas and kind of getting my, you know, sleeves up, you know, my hands dirty and, um, you know, gave that that kind of that consulting mentality of going in and diagnosing and assessing something in an objective way allowed me to to feel comfortable about the recommendations um and that was that was nice and especially you know so many people had a lot of opinions on what i needed to do i mean when i started people were you need to change this you need to fire these people and then this is what you need to fix and again having that consulting background allowed me to to hear it but not to be too influenced but because I, I said i need to go do the research i need to let you know go through and understand what the issues are and i'll reach my conclusions and and you know i'll take all these things into consideration as additional data points but i needed to make my own decisions about about what we needed to do to address some of the challenges that we were facing that's a really great point, and I like the, um, the the point that you mentioned about the consultant or the consulting mindset. And I think that's a really important skill for anyone to develop. You know, whether you're a consultant or not. Uh, you know, often working in a corporate environment, uh, we should be seeing a lot of our stakeholders as our customers, and and you know, develop those approaches in working with them and and helping them solve their challenges. So I think that's that's a really important point that you make. Um, so. That that consultant or consultant, sorry, consulting mindset served you really well. Again, were there skill areas that you thought you needed to address, or you know, um, new things you needed to pick up on? Yeah, again, again, this one brought all sorts of you know new new skill sets. So, one, um, the company focused on you know in the market in areas that I I don't focus on or hadn't really ever focused on. So just trying to become a little bit more fluent in, in some of the, the, the functional areas of, of, of um, you know, the capabilities that the team has. That was, that was something, but 
um, you know, also the HR, you know, again, when I came in, I was the UKMD. So suddenly I had HR that was under my remit and I was, you know, I, I always say to people, I've not been here for eight years and I've just in the last, like right before the, um, the lockdown, I, I went to the doctor for the first time. I just, I'm not a sick person. So I've never paid much attention in, even in the, in the U S about our benefits and pensions and all that kind of stuff. So HR, that was an area that, again, I didn't know, I didn't need to be an HR expert, but I definitely needed to develop an understanding of HR practices and things like that. Um, operations were never with it really in my remit and suddenly I had to need, you know, look at the operations of our, of our business and figure out how to drive, um, you know, try to make some improvements there. Um, P&L management, while I was at Hitachi, I did manage an aspect of a budget. Now I had the entire P&L. And so, you know, kind of building up more of that financial acumen so I could try to, you know, my, my goal was to you know, build have you know, profitably profitably grow this business. Um, I needed to kind of dig in and, and develop a level of proficiency in that area as well. So again, it was a it felt like a complete learning curve again. And and what sort of approaches do you think worked really well in terms of closing those gaps? Similar to you know similar to what I mentioned before. I mean, with the um, on the things like. You know, with the P&L management, I was pretty clear. I, I, it wasn't something I had a lot of background in, but I also, finances are, are not the thing that get me really excited. So I knew I had to develop um, a, a level of competency around them. So again, part of my 90-day plan was I, I met with, a, with our, you know, head of finance and had him walk me through the, the balance sheet and kind of make sure I knew what all the different line items were and you know how the business worked and then asked for my operations person to hold me accountable. So every month we would have to sit down and, and go through the different um, reports that I was getting in terms of aging revenue or you know what have you and, and literally just sit down and enforce myself to look at the things that we needed to look at and make decisions about investments or clients that we needed to chase up on or, or what have you. So I could you know, just kind of holding myself accountable for, to do it because I knew if I didn't, I would just, you know, a year would go by and I didn't look at the balance sheet and didn't, didn't look at the statement, the income statement and things like that. So, yeah, you know, kind of, again, asking for help and just putting in the time to, to keep focused on those. And then again, you know, in some of the other areas, I was really open to say to the team, I, I didn't have a lot of background in particular areas but these are the things I wanted to see. Um, and so trying to set the expectation of what I wanted from that team and having them come tell me what they needed my help in, um, you know, to help them do their job, but not actually have to get into the, the detail of certain functional areas that I'm just, you know, that I, I don't have that experience in. You know, I think that's some great and, advice. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to end research again. <laughs> you know, I would go like look mm -hmm. at you know if there were certain certain areas. Um, I would I would ask for. I, I actually coming in. Um, I asked for a coach. It was one of the things I um, asked for as part of my signing agreement. You know, I said I want to build it into my contract that that I'll have a year of executive coaching because that's one of the things. While Hitachi provided a, and, and quite a bit of training as well. I never had that kind of personal coaching and I, mean, I had a lot of mentors and things like that and sponsors, but 
learning how to be a leader and some of that leadership training and, and that coaching wasn't something I, I, I felt I had a lot of. And so I asked to have that as, um, again, as, as part of my signing contract that I would have a personal coach for, for a period of time. And, and that was um, afforded to me. And I'm again, really thankful that, that I had that because it, you know, it was, a, I learned a lot about myself and identified the things that some of the things I need to focus on, but also that coaching gave me a great framework for how to assess my team and, and make some hard decisions much earlier in my, um, my time with the company rather than taking too long to, to kind of get to, to some tough decisions. Yeah, no, that, that's really, uh, uh, I think, valuable. I mean, we, we talk a lot about mentors and, and, and that sort of thing, but, um, you know, I think not often do people step forward and say, you know, I'd, I'd like a coach to, to, to help me get to that next level. So I think that's a really good takeaway. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's a really valuable, a valuable thing to think about uh, in terms of, you know, whatever you want to develop. You know, in your case, you said, you know, building leadership skills or again, whether it's financial skills or whether it's people skills or whatever, presentation skills, a great approach to take is to, is to take that coaching approach and, and, you know, ask, ask for that help. Yeah. And um, I, I guess, so yeah, a different set of challenges, uh, you know, so looking back at all of those jumps you've made and, and, and they have, they haven't, there haven't been many, I think, um, you know, but some significantly big ones, whether they were changing, you know, job to job or changing countries. And I think, you know, what's certainly come out in this discussion is, those approaches that you use to close those gaps, you know, it's the same approaches, but they've served you well in each of those roles. And um, I think, you know, so, so some really important takeaways there. So uh, yeah, that's been, that's been really in, insightful. Um, I guess, you know, what I'd ask is if, if people are wanting to get into consulting, you know, what, what sort yeah. of advice would you give people thinking about making the move into consulting? You know, it depends on where they are, you know, in their, in their life. If you're, if someone's still in school, I would definitely encourage them to get into, you know, kind of a consulting association or something like that. Um, and the universities I went to, they had, you know, different, different types of communities that you could, you know, go and you know, have in office days with, with different firms or and have, different individuals come and speak to the organizations uh, into this into the school so you can kind of get a flavor of, of what it's like um, so anything you can do to explore it um, have a lot of you know, informational interviews um, talk, meet people see what they like about it what they don't like about it and I always think really assess yourself because it, it's a funny industry I think um, and it's, it's a real challenging one and so I think it's it's good to, and I'd probably say this, you know, for any, any career is really understand what it's about and what attributes you need to have to be successful. And, and if you don't have them, then maybe don't go into it, you know, um, early, you know, kind of early in my, um, I was probably a manager and I was mentoring um, a young woman and, and she was fabulous, but she hated change. <laughs> and so, you know, every time she changed clients or every time she got onto a new project, she just was filled with dread and anxiety and it was something that didn't go away. And, you know, and, and so after, after coaching her for a while, you know, I just got to the, you know, we got to the point where that's probably not the industry for you then because it is constant change. And so she, you know, she ultimately made the, made the decision to leave and she's been in the same company since. 
in a particular role and she's very happy. And that's, you know, she said, I didn't want to admit it to myself that I didn't have the, you know, the, the right attributes or the mindset to, to allow me to be, I guess, uh, comfortable and competent enough to continue to continue with her, her career there. And, you know, for me, I've said my first year I was filled with dread, um, but I was amazed at what I learned in the first year. And I recognized that I developed a skill set that I actually could take and evolve and, you know, and I kind of like the challenge. Um, so to me, that's, it, it kind of made sense for, for me, but I, I do think it's, you know, kind of holding a mirror up to yourself and, and really thinking about who you are and what kind of environments give you energy, what motivates you and, and think about whether that consulting gives you that or not. Yeah, that, that's great advice. And, you know, I like the analogy of holding a mirror up to yourself because it's understanding, uh, you know, what it is you want, I think, and, and, you know, understanding if you've, have those attributes to, to, to the, that career or that job. So, you know, that's, that's really great advice. And I, I guess sort of flipping that, not, not on its head, but then, you know, if you could go back and, and uh, tell your old, your 18 year old self something, uh, what, what would you tell your 18 year old self? I tell her a lot of things. Um, I think, you know, I think one of the things I'd say is actually just believe in yourself more. Um, you know, because you're more capable than you think. And I, I probably stressed myself out a lot more than, than I needed to by thinking that, you know, oh my God, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do this. Um, but I also think that's probably what allowed me to be successful in different areas. So, um, but I did take it awfully serious and, and I had a lot of you know, doubts at different points in my career. But, you know, I, I think if I look back on it, I've had a very successful career um, and one without a lot of, you know, pain points and things like that. So I, you know, I wish I would have believed in myself a little bit more at different times um, and then take more vacations. That's a good one. <laughs> take longer vacations. I think I took my first two week vacation, if you can believe this, um, maybe like 10 years ago. And it was the first time in my career that I took more like two weeks off. And I just thought it was revolutionary, you know? So I'm like, what, what was I waiting for all this time? But I always felt like, there's too much stuff going on. I was too important and I possibly couldn't be gone for, for two weeks at a time. And, uh, you know, now it's the bare minimum. Yeah. It's yeah. I guess when you, you make that move from one week to two weeks, it feels very extravagant. Um, but, uh, I think, yeah, you wouldn't, wouldn't go back to, to less than that. No, that, that, that's really great advice. And I think, you know, you shared so much insight, uh, in the time we spent together. So that's, that's been really great. You know, I really do appreciate it. And I guess just before we finish off, uh, you know, two, two short questions, um, you know, what, what book or, or books or good reads would you recommend to, to people listening to the podcast? I think so. Um, if you're making a job change, even it could be in the same company or it could be a new company. If you haven't read the 90 day plan or if you read it back in the day and, and you forgot about it, I definitely think that's a great, it's a great book because, you know, if you're making a move again, inside the company or a new company, there is an expectation that you're going to do something in a short period of time. And it's, it's a, it does provide a great framework for, what's expected and how you might prepare yourself to, you know, to, to make an impact as, as quickly as possible. So I like that one. Um, and I've given that one to, to different people at different points in their life. And I, the feedback I always get is that was a great book. Thank you. Um, 
And then, do you know, I don't really have a lot of books that I go back to all the time. I, I listen to a lot of podcasts and so I'd recommend people listening to podcasts like, like your own, but I think oh, there's great, great advice. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's, you know, I think there's, you just little nuggets of information. Some are, you know, five minutes, some are an hour, but it's just a great way to kind of keep a pulse on stuff, whether it's political, business, entrepreneurship, you know, uh, sports, you name it. I just, and I think it's a, uh, it's a great way to learn. And again, be curious about you know, different things out in the world because something's always relevant. You know, and certainly one of the recommendations I, I would pass on, and I'll, I'll put this in the show notes is, is the one that you recommended to me about uh, called how I built this. And oh, I do um, love that one. yeah, now I've been taking a listen to some of the shows and uh, uh, yeah, the, the listen to the Spanx one and, uh, and the Instagram one as well. So um, yeah, really good listening and um, you know, putting yourself in, in, a, in a different mindset. So I'll, I'll certainly add that one to the show notes as well. All right. That's good. That you hear about all the, you know, these people who you look at and they look, they seem so successful, but they almost always have these tales of, multiple failures or just on the brink of of collapse and something happens and the next thing you know they're running you know these yeah amazingly successful organizations that all of us follow or all of us are you know enthusiasts about so it's uh, I, I think they're it's always inspirational and um i learned something from all of them for sure yeah and i think the one common theme is you know it's surprising how much work you need to put into becoming an overnight success um yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, definitely good learnings on that. Okay. Well, no, that's been brilliant. And then uh, finally, I guess, you know, where can, where can people connect with you or find out more about you? Uh, LinkedIn is probably the easiest yep. way. Crystal Metcalf. All right. Brilliant. I'll, I'll, I'll put a link uh, in, in the show notes to your LinkedIn in profile as well. So, okay. That, I mean, that's been brilliant. Um, yeah, no, thank you so much for making the time available uh, I guess also, you know, eating into personal time. I really do appreciate it. And I think, you know, the listeners appreciate it as well. Um, it, it's been a really great discussion. So, you know, thank you so much for sharing that with that, that your, your journey and, and some of your insights. It's been really great. Thank you, Crystal. Well, thank you for asking me to be part of the, your podcast. Um, I think it's been kind of fun to reflect back on, on uh, all these years. Um, and and it's it really fun for me as well. So thank you. Uh, you're welcome. I'm, I'm really glad you enjoyed it. Another great insightful interview and I just want to say thank you again to Crystal for joining us on this podcast episode. I think it's been a episode again packed with loads of insights. What's really rewarding for me is as we go through these episodes and we talk to people and interview people from different walks of life, different career paths, different skill sets, there are a number of these certain golden threads that are starting to emerge and uh, I think that's you know really brings things together and is drawing out a lot of insights when we when we think about all of the the discussions we've been having or the interviews or conversations we've been having in these shows. So uh, before I end the show, as usual, I'm just going to uh, uh, summarize some of the key takeaways I took from that that chat with Crystal. As I said, there were some really great ones in there. I'm going to call out the main ones, and of course, I'll write these up in the show notes as well for you to read through. And I guess starting off, the first thing that sprung out. Uh, when we spoke about Crystal's career or the start of her career was that she'd met a woman and, uh, you know, really looked up to this woman and saw, you know, what this person had been doing in business. And that really appealed to Crystal. And again, this kind of starts talking to the power of mentorship and being able to look at someone in a, in a position of success or look at someone 
that you think might represent where you want to be in a few years and certainly you know take on uh, lessons from them and learn from them so uh, mentorship the importance of mentorship can't be understated um crystal talked about even before entering university you know, she worked part-time while she was in high school and also she worked uh while she was at university and i think this is a great example because it really prepares us for the real world so moving out of that academics area moving into the real world can be a tough transition but if you get some working experience under your belt it's it's really really good one of the interesting things when we talked about moving into Anderson Consulting uh, was that Crystal felt really overwhelmed and intimidated. Um, again, you know, it was a really big jump uh, moving into this environment and at times felt like she had imposter syndrome, but really had a number of tools that she used to work her way through these challenges and these doubts. Having then invested that time and effort in developing those skills and closing those gaps, I think that effort is obviously well worth it and, you know, summed up in the statement that Crystal said that joining Anderson was much harder than she thought, but ultimately she loved it much more than she thought too. So, you know, really good testament to making sure that you do invest time and effort in building up those skills. Uh, empathy for clients was something that Crystal drew out and I think this is really key, I guess, not only for clients. I mean, obviously, in, in the consulting environment, it's really important. But just generally, in, in uh, empathy in general is very important. Um, the consultant mindset is something that Crystal spoke about. You know, whether or not you're in the consulting industry, and I've, I've said this before in some of my blog posts, is that we're all consultants in the same way that we're all uh, salespeople. You know, you're constantly delivering that service, whether it's to clients externally or whether it's to internal stakeholders, whether it's to your peers or your bosses, you know, you are all consultants and we all need to think in that mindset. Um, one of the key takeaways uh, for me also was when we spoke about thinking about whether consulting was a career for you or in fact any career, the things that Crystal suggested is one is to assess yourself you know, and understand uh, what it is about yourself uh, that you're looking for, understand what it is that that job requires or, or that career, and then really think about whether or not you have the attributes to to be able to do that. Uh, that that's really important. And I think, you know, it's something that can spare everyone a lot of pain is if you put that thought into things uh, beforehand. And then to finish off with, and this was the, 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 the if you think about a slide deck, the real the kicker box at the end of the slide deck was always stay relevant. And we use the example of of Madonna, and you know it might seem a, a little extreme, but uh, but absolutely, I think the important thing is it highlights the importance of always staying relevant. Don't get left behind. Don't let your skills get out of date. Keep continuing to develop those skills, and they will serve you well going forward. So that's it for the episode. Uh, again, I'd just like to say thank you to Crystal for giving up her time and uh, joining the show, sharing her story with with us and the, those insights. Uh, it was really good and I'm really grateful. Thank you so much and thank you so much for listening. Please remember, if you like the show, share it, tell people about it, uh, leave a review on your favorite podcasting platform. I appreciate every review I get. Um, you know, and if you do want to hear particular themes or learn about more uh, or different things in the show, please drop me a note. You can send me an email at info at agilecareerpodcast.com or take a look at my website. That's guntarichter.com. 
I'd love to hear from you and, uh, and talk more about careers and, and growth. Until next time then, take care. Bye-bye.